0: Welcome to Why Is This Good? A podcast by the Naples Writers Workshop. I'm Christine. And I'm here with John. Hey, John. Hello. All right. This week, it's my turn. And I picked a story by Cormac McCarthy. It's a short story, which I believe it was his first ever published story. A young Cormac McCarthy. Yes. <laughs> it's a different so name. Exactly. I'll go into that after I kind of read this section. But um, it's called Wake for Susan by Cormac McCarthy. And I'm going to read a short section. It's a short story overall. Sometimes everyone would go to bed and leave the two of them alone for a little while before the boy had to depart. On these occasions, the boy was even more flustered than when the family was in the room. He would say, well, Susan, I guess I better be getting along. And she would say, oh, don't go just yet. It's not so late. And he would say, well, I'll have to be leaving pretty soon and look darkly at her until she lowered her head with an embarrassed smile. And then he would reach over a little awkwardly and kiss her on the cheek. She would look up just a little and he would hold her shoulders and kiss her on the mouth. Nothing was ever so soft and warm and sweet-scented. He would hold her for a while, not speaking, but his breath catching a little in his throat, distrusting his voice altogether. After a while, she would look up at him rather boldly, he thought, and ask him, would she see him tomorrow? Or would he be at Arwood Saturday night? Or what? And he would answer as best he could, kiss her on the cheek and say he'd better be going and rise stiffly and stand there stoically or maybe even stretch and then cross the room feeling awkward and get his coat at the door her kiss would be full of meaning and he would tumble out into the sharp night air and run most of the way home the stars promised they would be back again tomorrow night really short so like i said i search for stories well like i was telling john at the very last minute for podcasts and so i was thinking to myself i'm gonna just see if there's a short story by like a very popular author that we all know and by we all know i mean me (laughs) that's a much smaller pool so i've read the road by cormac mccarthy i talk about it all the time because i think it's like you know post-apocalyptic and dark and moody and great so when i came across this um I i was searching by Cormac McCarthy short stories at that point. And there were these like relatively recent posts about how someone on Reddit had unearthed this first published assignment from him. So this is supposedly his first published piece. And it was published in 1959 in something called The Phoenix. And like John pointed out, it's by CJ McCarthy Jr. So before he's got his little pen name situated. But um, what was so funny about this was I like Cormac McCarthy for the reasons I just briefly outlined right and I felt like there was a lot of similarities in terms of those two stories like he's creating a setting it's a singular character the story exists in his head there's not a lot of physical plot but the world comes to life and I I enjoyed the language it was simple and un- easy to understand yet still beautiful and the comments on this reddit stuff and even the link that I sent you were like oh wow it's so nice to know that we all start somewhere and he's learned a lot and then this was the best dig it said this reads like a lot of the stories i read in lit mags and i was like you mean published short fiction yeah (laughs) it does like that's not an insult if you think it's an insult to have been published like let's talk about who published him sure but we're talking about a guy that went on to have a successful writing career i don't think that this is shit right i think if any This is early work that he, you know, may or may not be proud of still. He might have surpassed this, but this is not kindergartners trying to spell. Okay. He got better. Sure. But this is not shit. He didn't start from shit. We're not seeing a crap story. So I was so riled up when I was reading these comments because I was like, I'm desperate to see what these people write, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, how many of you have been published? Show me your freaking novel. And then we can talk about how much Cormac McCarthy has learned about his craft for which he is known worldwide. Okay. God, I'm about to swear.
1: We do have an explicit content warning <laughs> explicit for this warning? podcast.
0: Oh. <laughs> iTunes. So back to my point, I read this as an interesting sort of discovery. I think it's cool to read stuff that, you know, was written by an author that, you know, like a long time ago. And of course, you're going to do some comparison. But on its face, I also really enjoyed this. I don't know that I'll think about it, this story forever. It's very simple. It's very short. It's about a boy who's like traipsing on his way home on a Saturday morning in mid-October and describing the world around him when he stumbles upon a cemetery and he looks down at a tombstone and sees that the girl that he's looking at, Susan, died when she was something like 17. So he immediately goes into this daydream, which is such a normal thing for a teenage boy alone in the woods or a 30-something at her desk at work and starts imagining this life that Susan had. And there's a line that says that the boy he imagines opposite her is strikingly like him. So he's he's imagining himself in this scenario throughout. Like, I wonder what kind of a, a girl she was and the time in which she was alive, which, like I said, this was published in the 50s, but he's talking about how she passed away like in 1834. So he's he's thinking to himself at that time. That's a year he can picture, right? He, he says, this isn't 1215 or 1066 like this is recent memory I can recall the details of that time and place and so I can put myself in it and imagine like what it would have been like to court a girl then right and so that's what this whole story ends up being is him imagining courting Susan who's dead and then at the end of this imagination this little daydream he comes back to reality and he's still looking at her tombstone and he's like God you know this poor girl she was never loved the way I'm imagining her having been loved or maybe she was and that's great too but he's lamenting a stranger that's died. I think that that is no matter how expertly you wrote this story, a most noble takeaway for an early writer to impart on his readers. So I thought even if by the end when he's hugging the tombstone and crying that was getting you know, dramatic and kind of weird, whatever what he's communicating is like so deep and human. It's the same experience I get every time I read a New York Times obituary for famous person that I've never met or never heard of, or a less than famous person, but, you know, invented blah, blah, blah. And I read these obits and they're so well done that this person comes to life, but only in death am I appreciating who they were, right? I feel like I experience this thought all the time. And we think about, you know, people dying young, what our legacies will be when we die. He's, I think, grappling with a very big theme in writing and no, the yeah. way way he does it so innocently like we happen upon this theme the way he happens upon the tombstone we don't know what we're about to read and then all of a sudden that's what we're reading i thought he was going to go shoot some squirrels and that i was going to read something like white thing in the woods but <laughs> yeah i mean this is not that so i was surprised by it it felt real to me this boy this this innocent daydream of his felt authentic in a lot of ways you know that he would imagine something like this so so vividly and then kind of continue on his way it says Later, Wes arose from the spot, drained and empty. He picked up his rifle and started for home. And then it like kind of briefly describes the setting again. And I even like the last sentence. It says he smiled and walked home, towering even among the lean trees. Like that's the kind of sentence and like taste in your mouth that this story leaves. And you know, I would just challenge these jerks on Reddit <laughs> to <laughs> impact me the way Cormac McCarthy at age whatever did, because I thought this was good.
1: Yeah, this story is eminently human, and I what you mentioned that that, uh, that sentiment of um 1834 was a year one could remember not like yeah. 1215 or 1066 but a real year i love that that's such an interesting idea around which to like kind of base this daydream a lot of good stuff in here and it's very very human you know just like you said it, it creates an experience that um you work a long time to figure out how to make that kind of experience for your reader.
0: yeah maybe they're describing it as juvenile, like with the idea that it's a daydream, you know, mm. or that it's shorter that it is about a teen boy. I don't, I don't know, but this felt like a good premise for all that. The story is that you daydream about people you, you don't know at all. And then you, you come to know them or appreciate them as other humans. Right. It's the same way you like, you see someone in, in the line at the grocery store and you, you think about who they might be. Yeah. That's a great exercise as a human being.
1: It's a great exercise as a writer too, is mm-hmm. just to go out and people watch and tell, you know, tell their stories to yourself because you pick up on little cues of like, who is that person based on how they walk, how they glance in their purse, every couple of steps, how they um clutch their purse against their body or, or, you know, big open strides. You know, you can learn so much about people just by watching them and then tell the story about them. And then in practicing doing that, you start to, you're noticing those significant details that tells the the story that you can then put into your fiction.
0: (laughs) Right, And Wes in the story does all of that. Yeah. Just with a grave marker. I mean, he even has to like envision what she might look like. So he's not observing, but he's putting his mind to work with what's in front of him. My dogs are about to bark. (laughs) You know when you can like feel something?
1: (laughs) That's right. I can't predict when my cats will meow.
0: So what were we talking about?
1: Just the story was really good. And these people on Reddit were crazy for disliking it.
0: Yeah. Crazy for thinking that it wasn't good just because it was an early work. I thought there was so much to appreciate about this let me read part of the beginning here for the setting because that was what like i said when i skim a story that i'm you know looking for a podcast story i tell myself if i find myself like still wanting to read but i don't have time to read it all right then i just send it to john (laughs) and so (laughs) this was one of the ones where i was like oh yeah this will be good and it was because of this beginning which had nothing to do with the middle but i was enjoying what was happening i was interested to continue reading so i'm going to read like the second full paragraph here it says west picked up his rifle and started slowly for home he still had the yard to mow a well-worn path led through the cool shade of second growth hardwoods oaks and hickories the damp leaf carpeted woodland floor was punctured haphazardly with moss padded gray limestone the path led past the remnants of an abandoned quarry west paused to chuck a rock into the green algae covered water of the quarry hole then he turned off onto the railroad track it was longer home this way and harder walking among the rotting ties and lecherous honeysuckle the sagging rails were brown and rusty with disuse. Wes walked along them, placing one foot carefully in front of the other, falling off every few steps. He followed the path of the old rail bed until it turned east across brown harvested fields, Then he turned into the woods again. I can picture all of this and I'm learning so much about Wes because he's the kind of guy that alone in the woods, nowhere to really be too soon. He's got the lawn to mow, is enjoying getting there. And the way he's like walking along the railroad and falling off and getting back on, like that's something that like little kids do, right? He seems to be interacting with his world in a way that is young in the sense that he's finding, he's he's still in awe of the world, right? He's not rushing through the woods to go home and mow the lawn he's enjoying this this walk so i like that whole setup and i felt like that was like a strong scene and like the road the only cormac mccarthy i'm comparing this to there's like dialogue but not a shit ton of it and so you're just kind of interpreting what characters are thinking and understanding by like how they're interacting with what's around them right and almost all of their thoughts come from things that they're seeing and so i i like that this character is i'm learning i learned something in that paragraph it wasn't the paragraph was not Wes walked home <laughs> the woods You know, there's a lot more going on. Plus, just I just love some of these words. And we talked in the last podcast about, you know, writing things that, you know, and Cormac McCarthy knows the woods.
1: Yeah, that's obvious.
0: Yeah. And and it's it sounds like something that we would all tell ourselves we could describe. But have we done what he's doing here, which is chuck a rock into the quarry and walk along the the rotting rail ties?
1: Yeah, this story uh, evoked a lot of memories of me. I remember one time my cousin and I decided to follow the barbed wire that Track the edge of um, my grandparents' property through the woods in Wisconsin. And uh-huh. that was an adventure. But I was like, just reading this, you know, back out there in the woods with him. Right. And finding like old stuff, like that um, yeah. shot pellet that he found, or I forget exactly what it was
0: a uh, flattened hog rifle ball. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> the, you know the woods out where what i'm talking about had like logging camps in them and you could find like trash mounds and pull out old 19th century doodads from them i think my mom found like a teacup and a tea like a little saucer the saucer that's the word yeah saucer and cup in one of those
0: yeah and he grabs that he calls it a relic and he puts it through it in his pocket he takes it home yeah like he's not picking this stuff up and like discarding it right he's like enjoying i don't know there's something about his whole demeanor that made it so obvious that he was still a young kid Mm -hmm. like the weight of the world hasn't lost its charm yet you know he's i liked it that way So this is also kind of similar to the story that we last talked about. There's this format, which that last story was a phone call, a backstory phone call. And this is walking through the woods, long daydream back to walking in the woods. And I don't usually enjoy those formats. I just like a straightforward story that just like gets to it. But um, for the point of this story, the whole premise is that something you see in the course of your daily life can trigger this kind of thought, right? You can, you can dive deep into this. And that's why that's why I liked it. We have these thoughts all the time. And here is is one fully realized that has a more significant meaning at the end than some of our own daydreams, right? We don't always come to these like profound conclusions when we're fantasizing about the person in front of us in the line at the grocery store. That's what fiction lets us do.
1: Yeah. And as we talked about in several other episodes, it builds empathy. Yeah. It's trying to understand other human beings and what their experiences might be.
0: Right. And like, what a great premise for a story to talk about something that we all do everyday. which is daydream about people we know nothing about. So maybe that's a good takeaway to jump ahead. Like think about something we all do all the time. And now what would fiction lend itself? What would fiction lend to that experience, that common experience? Like what could you force yourself to pull out and interpret and reveal to a reader that h- thinks that they understand that whole concept?
1: One thing I should mention about this story is it's interesting um, what happens here with, because this is this is told from Wes's point of view. Right. He's walking through the woods and then he has these daydreams and the main one centers around susan who's the girl who died 100 plus years before and he's imagining what she's going through but then there's also these other little moments like uh the year was 1834 and a very fine year it was it was fall and that is a good time of year in a rocky woodland glen a minor tragedy occurred then he goes through this story of a fox that's chasing a chipmunk and then winds up Trying to dig the chipmunk out of some rocks, can't reach it, slaughters the chipmunk and like kills it, but then, you know, can't eat it. So it just wanders off again. And that just, thrown in there and then there's this other part when susan's his when he's imagining susan's lover walking home and he's walking uh he ambled home emptily beneath wind tortured trees that spoke in behalf of the silent stars so now there's a paragraph that's from the point of view of the trees talking to him walking beneath them and they're talking on behalf of the stars you walk here as so many others have walked the ancient oaks have seen them the life sap courses through these twisted limbs It's very interesting, just the different points of view that he kind of leaps to in his daydreams, kind of imagining things from these various perspectives.
0: Right. Maybe that's what these Reddit people are talking about. Like, maybe they view that as like trying too hard or something. But but for me, it all felt authentic for who this boy is, like that he would spend so much time talking about this fox and the chipmunk. Yeah. I'm sure there's a literary critic out there that would say that that scene, you know, is some kind of a metaphor. Yeah. You could
1: probably tie it to something if we wanted to.
0: Story, yeah. That, like that you would damage something you can't enjoy. Like, I don't know. This is what my dog does when she tries <laughs> to get lizards and they're trapped behind the little She She's paws them until they die. And it's, it's horrific. But yeah, that's, I, I forgot about that little um, scene that you, until you mention it, because it's, it's not at face value important to the overall context, but I think it lends itself to this whole like dream state that we're in.
1: Yeah. It's a lazy afternoon or morning. I don't know what time of day it is.
0: Yeah. And, and right to your point. So there's these kind of side things, but his daydream of Susan is not let me imagine kissing Susan on my way out the door. His daydream is like, you know, over the course of many days and nights. Like, he spends a lot of time thinking about, about her and um, I don't know, I really like that too. I didn't think that that's what this story was going to be that we were going to spend that much time back then imagining something that, you know, didn't really happen. So It felt real that way. Yeah. Like He did work with this. It wasn't, I walked through the woods, I saw a tombstone, I imagined what it would have been like to kiss her, a chaste woman of the 1800s. I walked Walked home. <laughs> There's a lot more going on. on. I wept
1: this- at her graveside.
0: Yeah, right. Sorry. I wept at her gravesite. I walked home. Yeah, so I'm going to read this paragraph, even though I hate like the spoiler endings, but you guys should be reading the stories in advance. Anyway, dad. It says, a sea of love and pity welled up in Wes. Great tears pushed one another down his cheek. He threw his arms around the unyielding stone and wept for lost Susan, for all the lost Susans, for all... The people, so beautiful, so pathetic, so lost and wasted and ungrieved. I love that.
1: It's funny, you um I was about to read that same paragraph.
0: Yeah, it's the good stuff. Yeah. I did kind of read that and think like, Oh, it's kinda of corny that he's like crying and hugging it. But what he's thinking about when he feels this emotion is the exact thing that I started out talking about is all the ungrieved people, you know. And you don't know that. Susan's family might have grieved her the rest of their lives. There might have been like this massive funeral for her. You don't know. But he's thinking about humanity, right? He's thinking about people in general and
1: Oh yeah. The previous paragraph, he says, how had she died? The mute stone left no testimony. There were so many ways. He's kind of grieving for all death and all passing, you know, out of the world.
0: So I really liked it. Do you, is there anything else you want to say before we talk about our takeaways or are you ready for a takeaway? I'm ready for takeaways. All right. Well, I kind of touched on mine, which is like, if not a daydream, think of a common daily experience and spend more time on it so that you can do something for your reader that they're not expecting. Maybe that's like your drive home. Maybe that's like being the first one in your office and like starting the coffee pot, whatever it is, like see if there's a way to, Describe that for us or to connect it to something, or if you want to daydream as you're doing these things, fine. But, like, what are you thinking about in your daily life? You're not thinking about making the coffee, right? Your hands are doing that. But, what's going on in your head during all these things? Like, Wes is walking home, but he's got 30 things going on in his head, which we know that we know that about other people, right? We know that when we sit on the couch and watch TV with our partner, that they're thinking about the show and 10 other things, but like, we can't hope to know what those things are. So, this is like such a great private entrance into a character's mind
1: yeah that's interesting because a lot of times you know we even interrupt ourselves thinking about something and they can't remember what it was
0: yeah yeah My brain's going like a mile a minute and I think this story does a good job of kind of slowing that down and we get to know Wes. Yeah. What is your takeaway, John?
1: My takeaway is entirely personal for me but if I want to try to think about this story as a way to approach the craft of fiction, this hit in a lot of good spots for me that I am personally interested in. Just the idea Mm -hmm. of time, of history, you know, when he found that little pellet on the ground and picked it up. Yeah. I mean, that's like, it wasn't literally tailor-made for me but that's the kind of moment that I attached to because i find that kind of stuff just endlessly interesting just the idea of people having been in this place before and they're like the
0: right.
1: remnants of old lives that you'll never understand and never see and so i like thinking about those things of you know think of a, a place and how many people have passed through it and what kind of history that place has had for the people for what has gone before in that area even a desolate like, an area of de- like uh, that's relatively uninhabited you don't necessarily have to have like a continuously inhabited place like a city or something Think back like somebody a hunter passed through here yeah centuries before that a native american or something if it's in america could have passed through that area so my takeaway is just to think about those things and how to bring them into the present moment of the story i know that this is a specific story that does that through the daydream right i think about like um faulkner's work and how he weaves the history of places into the telling of Stories. Right. There's endless ways to take that, but that's my takeaway is just thinking about history.
0: Yeah. It doesn't have to be like a physical artifact that like surprises you, right? It could be like the building that you're in and who designed it a hundred years ago or whatever. But oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. And it does something similar to not just that artifact, but like a cemetery overall does that, right? So that's like a this is an easy way to do it, right? Because he doesn't go into the reverie when he picks up the whatever. Mm-hmm. He goes into the reverie at the tomb stone which is like he admits like discovering that artifact maybe prompted him to take the long way through it but he recognizes yes. this place as a place where he's gonna think about that kind of stuff so you can do it intentionally too right
1: yeah absolutely
0: yeah you can put your character in a place that has that significance and talk about that significance as a point of the story i'm sure we have examples of stories that have done that in the podcast even if it's like uh the one that rob picked where they're looking at the art
1: oh the delillo piece
0: yeah We spent a lot of time on that piece, like reflecting on the time and place depicted in those photographs that are at the museum. Yeah. And a museum is like a cemetery in that sense, right? You go to encounter these things that you know are going to make you think about the people and places they're from. There's got to be 10 other examples of that. Like you could do a really good story about like an American college girl who studies abroad in Italy and... (laughs) You know, isn't appreciating what's around her, but the reader's picking up on it. There's, oh, there's yeah. all, all kinds of ways.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of history in the world. Yeah. A lot of people.
0: And it can be recent history too. Like I just looked at this Garfield stuff that I have in my desk. Like I start buying vintage Garfield stuff. I need to stop buying it. I joined this Facebook group to sell it and then I start buying other stuff. So I have a problem.
1: Don't tell the podcast that you can use this as a vehicle for acquiring more Garfield.
0: <laughs> I know so anyway I, like I look at this stupid little ceramic thing on my desk and then I do think about like who was the collector that had it and kept it and why did they get rid of it you know <laughs> this whole Facebook group like blows my mind but it can be a more recent thing like that you know because he talks about how 1860 whatever is recent enough for him but it could be 10 years ago and you could be thinking about the person that had your desk at work yeah I think that's great that, that it does seem specific because it's something that you're interested in but that seems like a good uh, prompt as well right
1: yeah I mean I it's personal for me but it's also yeah other people can think about that
0: yeah it's concrete it's a concrete thing you can go out and execute yeah cool all right thanks guys if you enjoyed this episode consider subscribing to our monthly newsletter at our website napleswritersworkshop.com and for daily writing tips industry news and great short fiction join our facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash napleswritersworkshop